<laughs> Welcome uh, to the third week of the Advent season. Um, if you're new to this church kind of experience, um, Advent is a celebration of the coming of Christ. Um, through the entire month of Advent, uh, we celebrate Christ with grateful adoration and glorious anticipation. And that's the series um, title that we've been doing for the past, uh, fourth, this is the fourth week in the series. Um, first week we saw that the call of Advent was a call to behold Christ, the Lamb of God. Um, the second week we saw that the call of Advent was to, a call to feast on Christ, the bread of life. And in, this, in the third week, we saw the call of Advent was a call to be loved by the greatest lover the world has ever known, Christ, our bridegroom. And today we're going to be seeing um, uh, Christ as our king. Um, that's, that's, that's the topic for today. Behold the king. Last Sunday, um, I was part of a phenomenal experience, uh, something I'll probably never get to experience for a very, very long time. I mean, I watched the incredible band U2 live on their Joshua Tree tour, and that was something else. Like everything, the, uh, the songs you've been listening to all your childhood, to see that band perform live in front of you, and we were so close to the stage, like we, I could literally give a hi-fi to Bono, like th- that close to the stage and that was amazing um the sound the entire production the visuals the crowd it was just out of the world one thing that really really took this concert to an other level and set it apart from other concerts was how aware bono the front man uh, was on the present state of affairs i mean he made several direct quotations of mahatma gandhi uh, throughout the set right from the beginning to the end and he spoke about how he modeled um the the, the power of peace and nonviolence and um their amazing background visuals displayed uh, some some of the amazing uh, people who actually led this from the front they led uh, gauri lankesh who was the recent um, journalist gulabi gang uh, sari squad the, the Hyderabad protest, and these are all projections on their, even as they were singing the song, and even Pandita Ramabai uh, was up there, and they connected to the hearts of the Indians on another level. And um, standing there, uh, they, end, they ended the concert with uh, the great maestro A.R. Rahman, and they wrote a song together, you two and A.R. Rahman, called Ahimsa, and they performed that together. It was such a timely concert with such a timely message uh, for, for the times that we are in. Um, when Bono was displaying these visuals, uh, along with our Indian uh, people, there were a lot of world figures as well fighting the same causes. And it came to my realization, I mean, I saw the bigger picture. I said, hey, not just India. I mean, the whole world is sort of broken. The whole world is messed up. And, um, and today we're going to uh, talk about what does the faith, uh, the Christian faith has to offer uh, that really can, can really heal our hearts even during these times. And hence the title of the talk is Behold the King. Uh, this is one promise that throughout the pages of the Bible, there's a promise of the King. Let's, let's look at Jesus who is our King this morning. I'm going to be uh, speaking from one crucial verse, 
um, written in the Bible. It is in the Old Testament way before Jesus even came. Um, we're looking at the book of Judges. Uh, this is a book in the Old Testament. And a little context for us if this is your first time in the Bible. Joshua, a leader, led God's chosen nation Israel from exile. They were, they were, in, uh, they were in Egypt and they, they, he led them out of Egypt and he took them to this promised land Canaan. And for 400 years, uh, this nation was ruled by judges. These were not just mere dispensers of justice in a courtroom. These were spiritual leaders of the nation. They were, they were political leaders. They were leaders in every sense. And these 400 years were some dark years for this nation. Uh, they were on a downward spiral. It was not just the people. Even the judges were horribly messed up. And, and there, was, there was a lot of political, social, moral, and spiritual chaos for these 400 years uh, in this nation. Um, and uh, towards the end of the book, we find this verse. And, and the verse that we're going to be looking at is, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is what we're going to be looking at today. Allow me to just pray before we dive in. Jesus, we want to worship you. You are the king of kings. And our hearts take so much comfort from the fact that you are on the throne. And you are in control. This morning, even as I speak, Lord Jesus, would your word, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Let the word come alive uh, in in a way that only you can bring it alive. Uh, May our hearts come alive this morning. Lord Jesus, all the broken areas of our hearts, would you heal them this morning? Meet us at our points of need. King Jesus, take over. Take over completely. Uh, we submit to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The framework for the talk is as follows. We're going to be looking at the abuse of justice. Then we're going to be looking at the absence of a king. And we're going to be looking at the absolute king of justice. Yeah, the abuse of justice, the absence of a king, and the absolute king of justice. Let's jump straight in. The abuse of justice. Here's what the verse says. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Um, and this, this uh, book, if it was released as a movie, uh, it would put a lot of aerated movies and shows to shame. Uh, it, it's some pretty gory stuff. And this verse says, everyone did what was right. It doesn't even say they proactively went out and did horrible things. Uh, it, it doesn't say they meant evil. It, it actually says they thought whatever they did was right. Let's let's look at some of the uh, let's look at some of the things that they did. This book is full with death and slaughter and human sacrifice and betrayal, illicit sex and scandal written across all the twenty-one uh, chapters of this book. And here are some of the things that some of the judges do. Jephthah, one of the judges, sacrifices his only daughter as a burnt offering because of a vow he made to the Lord. And, and human sacrifice was clearly a no in those times. Samson, if you don't know, if you, I'm pretty sure even if you're not a believer, you would have heard this guy, Samson. 
he spent a lifetime lusting after women uh, which actually also eventually led to his downfall a levite which is uh, uh, god uh, these these were priests of the nation uh, he a uh, couple of men wanted to sexually abuse him so he, he instead lets out his concubine and says do whatever you want and then when she after the entire night of being abused in the morning he cuts her body to pieces and he sends it uh, across the nation to incite war i mean these these things are horrible these things are horrible and at the end of all of these things it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes how did all of this seem right in their own eyes the answer is simple their moral compass has failed their conscience was broken they really messed they had a really messed up notion of what was right and what was wrong and here's the thing a broken moral compass or conscience not just normalizes the wrong but it asserts it as the right thing it doesn't just normalize the wrong this is not just missing uh, justice by a little this is not just like let's say if there's a bullseye this is not just missing the bullseye if the board is there this is hitting right there it is that off this is uh, this is mockery of justice this is absolute rebellion against it and it seemed right for them let's follow the same trail of thought and talk about ourselves for a moment here i mean this is not the only thing that happened in history history is full of gory events like this where humans whatever they did at that point in time they did it because it felt right to them and and one of the common phrases we hear a lot nowadays is you have to be on the right side of history have you heard of it you have to be on the right side of history make a choice what this assumes is people in the past have done some things which they thought were right but are clearly not um and and uh, if we have to prolong it further push it a little further and draw it a little closer to our hearts what we ourselves thought was right couple of years ago are we are now opening up to see that they aren't and in some cases we are even cringing upon it if you don't know what i'm talking about open facebook and go down your facebook memories some of the times when I, when i see i mean that's that's probably 10% of how i cringe like i'm like what i said that it's pretty bad the, the the question today is this are we willing to accept that we are probably doing some things today that we think are absolutely right but is cringe worthy not just to god but to our own future selves that's the question i'm leaving with us this morning not just to god but even to our future selves just like the israelites left to ourselves without god in the picture we are hopelessly blind to our sinfulness and our sense of judgment is marred it's not just like slightly off the mark it is twisted out of shape there's no way it can come back except for the work of god and our sense of what is right and what is wrong is broken we desperately need healing i mean uh, this happens so many times let's start with something as simple as lying and something which we all agree is bad but we have 100 reasons to justify it 
something like gossiping. I mean, we know it's wrong, but it's kind of normal to us, dude. We are best of friends. I mean, we discuss everything. Let's talk about love. How many of us have made terrible mistakes in love? We have been in love and we have been blind in love. We've, we've, we've lost all sense of judgment and, and everyone around us know that we are messing up. Except us. We end up doing some things which we regret. We are like, why? Times at work, we become so passionately consumed by it that our sense of judgment goes for a toss. Like, we, we are ignoring the family. Uh, the, the wife wants something. I'm like, okay, fine. Let, she'll take care of herself. That's okay. This is important. And we often end up messing up work also. Our sense of judgment is gone for a toss. We often do things that we, we are convinced for a fact that they are right, but later end up regretting them. Just last Sunday when I was leading worship, I experienced this. I picked this song, Noel, a um, beautiful song, which I, thought, which I personally thought was very easy. I'm like, this is, we've done this before, we can do this. And it's got a really complicated piano section in between. And I forced Taru to play. I'm like, you can do this. Just play. You've done this before. And she had no time to practice. And she, she was clearly uncomfortable. And she told me this will come in the way of my worship. And if I mess it up, it will come in the way of people's worship. I'm like, no way. Like, we can do this. We've done this before. I'm pushing you towards greater excellence. I am right in this. You see, music is really my idol. I want my music to sound right. And I want it to sound so good that people are like, wow, that was different. That was good. But on Sunday, it didn't go as per plan. And I personally messed it up. And at that moment, I was cringing. I was like, why? Why did I do this? The moment I got off stage, I said, Taru, baby, you were right. You are right. My sense of judgment was completely off. Are we willing to accept that we are probably doing some things today that we actually think are absolutely right? But later, it is not just cringeworthy to God, but to our future selves. Are we willing to see that our conscience and sense of judgment is broken? This passage also seems to suggest the reason for this. It says, at that time, they had no king in Israel. Let's just spend looking um, at the absence of a king. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. It's a very valid question to see why there was no king in Israel. This passage doesn't seem to be suggesting that. But if we look a little further into the actual transition when between uh, Samuel, the last judge, and to the king happened, um, this, this is happening in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I'll just read that conversation to you. So all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all, the, all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until today, forsaking me and serving other gods. 
so that so they are doing the same to you israel had no king because they didn't have an appointed king that was not the reason they had no king because they rejected their creator king and israel was chosen by god to be led by god and they were chosen to show the world what would it would actually look like if god was the king but now they are rejecting him and are asking for a human king just like every other nation they didn't suffer from an absence of a king they suffered from the rejection of the king justice didn't prevail in the land not because they didn't have a good ruler but because they rejected the perfect ruler look at us today i mean when we look at the mess around us we're like where is the justice allow me to tell you it's probably because we're not suffering from an absence of justice we are suffering primarily from a rejection of justice let's dig a little deeper a little further and see why they have rejected god as their king the answer lies in their request for a king they say we want a king over us then we will be like all the other nations um with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles at this point in time they just entered um the the promised land and and they were trying to get control over it uh, and god promised this to them that this will happen but they wanted an earthly king who would go and establish control and power over the entire region destroy their enemies even though it was a promise of god the areas in which we desire control are the ones in which we reject god as king the areas in which we desire control are the ones in which we reject god as king i mean let's think through this um let's let's look at some common areas we actually mess up starting from as simple as driving we want to be in control of the road i mean there's this there's this complaint that my sister and now my wife also have that uh when i'm on the road and i'm driving when the road is empty i am chilling like i'm cruising but when there's traffic i want to get ahead why because i want to rule this like i want i don't want anyone to control me i want to be in control and the best of saints have said the worst of things on the road at work why are we tempted to do shady things jump the gun take shortcuts to be recognized and promoted this is because we want to be truly in control of our career growth and you've rejected god as king if you're not conscious marriage becomes one big fight for control <laughs> plenty of marriages are breaking today because people are unwilling to let go and give up their control finances i mean we've heard last week from ricky he said a, a very successful entrepreneur who sold his company and he said money was in control of me and now that god is leading me to give this away and bless the kingdom it is no more controlling me i needed to hear that i let money control me a lot that's because i want to be in control of my finances our thirst for power and control is killing us countries are suffering because our public servants and politicians are unwilling to give up control and sacrificially serve not just one person we are all guilty of the same problem here's the thing just like israel we are we are rejecting god as king and demanding a man 
king. In some cases, we want to be king. In some cases, we look at another man as an absolute king. But here's the thing. When we crown ourselves as king, not just us, but people around us also suffer. When we crown ourselves as king, not just us, but people around us also suffer. In all of this mess, what is the hope that we have this morning? What is the hope that we have in Jesus this morning? What is Christmas all about? What is the gift of Christmas? The gift of Christmas is in the way this gracious God responds to their sinful desire for a man-king. Look at what he does. He sends the absolute king of justice. So when Israel rejected God as their king and demanded a man-king like every other nation, God in his grace sent Jesus, the God-man-king. Let's look at this verse proclaimed by a prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born, where he announced Jesus as a king. He said, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from that time and forevermore. Look at how God responds. First thing, for unto us a child is born. Jesus was a child, fully man, incarnated as 100% man. And it says, for unto us a son is given. It doesn't say a son is born. God the Father gave his perfect son, fully 100% God. He gave a God, man, king, and the government will be on his shoulders and, and, and he will establish and sustain this kingdom with absolute justice and righteousness. Something that we desperately need and are looking for. Let's take a moment on how this Jesus, this God-man king, established his kingdom on earth. The Israelites were clearly expecting a mighty king to come in power, destroy their enemies and exercise his full control over the land. But Jesus came meek and vulnerable baby, not born in a palace, but born in a lowly manger. He was not trained in war and chariots, but he was a humble carpenter. In a world where everyone was doing right in their own eyes, this is what Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. What a king. He did not come to destroy the enemy because if he actually destroyed the enemy, all of us, Israel, would be doomed because we have all sinned and we are enemies of God. You know, just before uh, being arrested and being crucified, um, when, when the weight of your sin and mine was upon Jesus and it was crushing him and he was feeling the agony so deep, In that moment where he could have done right in his own eyes, he said, not my will, but yours be done. 
This is the king, friends. This king was then arrested by the enemy, beaten, mocked, spat upon. He was crowned, but with a, thorn, but with a crown of thorns. On that cross, when he, when he hung, the father crushed him and his holy just wrath was satisfied. This king died to give you and me life. But the story doesn't end there. If he ended there, it would have been, he would have been a good martyr. But he's the ultimate king. The story didn't end there. The king who died rose again on the third day, proclaiming ultimate victory over the ultimate enemy that you and I have. Not just other humans. It is sin and death itself. Jesus walked out victorious. And what a victory that was. He is the ultimate king. The only king that demands our 100% devotion and submission. Only a king who relinquished 100% of his control for us can demand that we relinquish 100% of our control and submit to him. Nobody has done this, friends. No king has done this. So the call of Advent is this. A call to relinquish control and submit to King Jesus. Only this king is worthy of all our submission. If you're an explorer or even a believer, you might ask, I mean, what has this got to do now? Jesus is king, yes, but nothing around me seems good. If he's on the throne, what is happening? Friends, when Jesus came, he came to establish his kingdom. His kingdom, uh, when, he, when he died on the cross and when he was resurrected, his kingdom arrived on earth. But we're, we're living in a time when the kingdom is here, but is not fully yet completed. If he were to just complete his kingdom, that meant every sign of imperfection, which is you and I, those of us who still don't believe in him, everything would be destroyed. We are living in a period of grace where the kingdom is here and we have time to say, Jesus, you are my king. I am messed up. I mean, I, I, I've tried getting things under my control. I've messed up. I want you as my king. We're living in this time, friends. I know it is broken and imperfect, but there is hope. This king who came as a sacrificial lamb, is coming as the king of kings. He's coming to complete his kingdom. Every sign of imperfection destroyed, removed, sin completely defeated. And the very presence of sin is going to be removed. As an explorer today, if you're feeling a desire in your heart and you see the present reality, I mean, it's, 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 it's messed up. And you say... I can't go on like this forever. I am messed up and I can't go on like this forever. This king who relinquished 100% of his control and said, here's my life, is now asking, would you want to be mine? Would you want to be mine? As a believer, what are the areas that we are struggling to let go of our control? What is keeping us from submitting these kings to the kingship of Jesus? It could be career, like we discussed. Are we taking our, our career growth in our own hands? Are we doing some shady things 
just to be recognized. What about marriage? Are we taking this in control and, and dethroning king from the area of marriage? Finances, what, what is it? This morning, the call is relinquish 100% control and submit to King Jesus. In closing, I want to say, I know that we are in some challenging times today, both personally and as a country and as a world. You know what my ultimate hope is? My ultimate hope is in the fact that ultimate justice is not in the hand of imperfect kings and rulers, but the final justice is in the hands of a perfect Jesus who walked to death to give us life. You can trust this God with justice. You can trust this king with justice and he demands our 100% submission. My prayer, my anticipation this Christmas is come Lord Jesus, come King of Kings. I can't wait for you. We can't wait for you. Allow me to close us in prayer. Jesus, what a hope we have. Jesus, what a privilege we have to live in these messed up times and still have hope. And a hope that is not dead, a hope that is not just a future reality, but is a present reality working in our hearts today. Lord, we worship you as king. Lord, would you give us the grace to let go? Would you give us the grace to let go of the things that we want to control and submit to you? Jesus, you be king over every area of our life. You be king over every area of our work. You be king over every area of our city. You be king over every area of our country. We submit to you, Jesus, this morning. We worship you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.